I'm Dan Katz, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, The Real ESP Experience. to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 121, and I'm your host, Yelena Levin, and joining me is my co-host, Pontus Bokman. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hello! Again, just well, the two of us. guess what? Yeah. yeah, guess what? Anders is not here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but uh, we are we're very excited about our, our guest we've got on the show today, yeah. and it's a psychologist. I'm always fascinated by psychologists because they get to observe yeah. you human behavior and report back. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think we've talked a lot about psychology before. We did have actually <gasps> another guy, Teddy Weinroth, at That's one point. Right. That's, That's right. I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, psychology is. Uh, it's very fascinating. Very fascinating. It is. And and also, it gives us an insight on what drives behavior. And I think, actually, a lot of skeptic work should be supported by psychologists. Yeah. <laughs> or insight on, on psychology, from psychologists on how the brain works, what motivates people, what changes behavior. That's one of the things yeah. we talk about a lot in our interview. And... I really, yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's all about how we work as human beings, isn't it? Yeah, brain is a mysterious thing. Yes, it is. Without further ado, shall we crack on? Yes, let's do that. Let's listen to the interview. Joining us now, we have Swedish licensed clinical psychologist and psychiatrist Don Katz. He is a specialist in cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT. We in Sweden see him on national TV from time to time, where he's brought in to comment on some stories that makes the news. He is also a member of the board uh, of the Swedish Skeptics, also known as VOF. And he is the author of a very popular book about CBT, which is being translated to several languages. Uh, the translation uh, to English would be something like The Lizard Inside Your Head. Don Katz, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, unfortunately, I have to correct you immediately here. I'm not a psychiatrist. Oh. I'm a psychologist. Oh, sorry. A psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people uh, in Sweden make that mistake. So, so uh, <laughs> I understand. All right. Okay. <laughs> What's the difference to somebody who doesn't know anything about this? A psychiatrist is, is uh, a medical doctor who also has special, specialized in uh, uh, psychiatry. Mm -hmm. So those are the guys. To, who prescribe medicines? Medicines if you're uh, if you have anxiety or depression. Okay. A clinical psychologist works with psychological treatments like uh, cognitive behavior therapy. My specialty. Mm -hmm. All right. Good. Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, yeah. so it's very nice to have you with us. Would you like to describe yourself and your your background a little bit for our listeners? Well, uh, it depends on. Um, 
how much time we have because my background is is uh, I don't know if it's interesting, but it's maybe not the the, the usual background. For, <laughs> give give us the highlights. <laughs> Okay, the highlights is uh, I'm born in Gothenburg, uh, the west coast uh, of Sweden. And uh, uh, the first half of my life, I was actually a musician. So if you hear a little bit of a hint of an American accent, it's because I spent two years in Los Angeles uh, studying uh, guitar ah. uh, at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Uh, uh, and I was in the music business until the 90s when I got totally fed up with the music business uh, and and uh, started to study uh, psychology. And uh, for, uh, for Swedish people, this is not very uncommon that you change path in the middle of your life and go to the university. But in many countries, from what I understand, I find it kind of strange that somebody is around 40 suddenly goes to to the university but in sweden this is not so uncommon mm -hmm. right. i can confirm that that's true for england for sure that uh, people don't often do that and if they do they've been viewed as um like one-off exceptions rather than the rule mm, okay well i wasn't the oldest one in my 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 class actually so uh <laughs> That's good. So, uh, okay. So uh, I became a psychologist and uh, immediately I got interested in evidence-based psychology. And the reason was that uh, I understood very early that a lot of the stuff that they were teaching us really don't, uh, didn't have any scientific, well, proper background. It wasn't based on experiments Uh, it was more or less based on what uh, certain authorities had well reasoned for themselves uh, that this might be a good idea to look at uh, human behavior. Mm. So how do you how do you think that came about? Why why hasn't psychology been as science based as other disciplines? Well, to begin with, psychology is is uh, a young uh, science. Research really didn't start until about a little more than 100 years ago. And uh, immediately, almost immediately, we had a split between those who thought that uh, the human nature, uh, human behavior is too complicated to do uh, real research on. And what I'm meaning by real research is the kind of research that you do in physics or in medicine, Uh, that the human mind is too complex, that the human mind is sort of uh, almost a, a spiritual view of, of uh, the human psyche. The theories were divided along two different lines. One was that uh, a good method for uh, understanding human behavior would be to use, uh, I don't know if I'm using the right word in English, introspection that you, uh, you sit and think about how do I work, how may uh, other people maybe think, uh, what's behind that. But they didn't really make any, any research in uh, meaning that they made experiments. Mm -hmm. And uh, the most famous from, from that line of psychology must be Freud, of course. Yes, of mm. course. That may also be the reason why Freud and also Jung and some other uh, which had the same methods as him dominated for such a long time because uh, since they didn't have to do a lot of experiments 
they could very quickly come up with a theory, theory of how, how does uh, uh, the human mind work? Why, why do, do, do people behave like this? Mm. And then we had the other side, who, who, and they were usually called behaviorists. And uh, they thought that we should treat uh, the science of psychology just like any other natural science. Uh, we should do experiments, and uh, the goal is is to to be able to to find certain rules about how do people behave in certain uh, situations, so forth. And uh, that took much longer time to come up with uh, some good theories about how people work, because you need to do experiments, experiments, and experiments again. Yeah. So that's probably the reason why psychoanalysis dominated for such a long time. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, if I understand correctly, the CBT, the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, does have science behind it, um, and it's proven to work. Um, do, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about that? Well, well the basis of uh, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, is first learning theory. And uh, the most famous scientist there was, uh, well, first Pavlov, of course. Everybody knows Pavlov and his dogs, classical conditioning. Yes. The drooling dogs. And then we had Skinner, <clears throat> who made a lot of research from the 40s until the, actually died in, in the beginning of the 90s. Included in cognitive behavior therapy is what we call, uh, I'm not trying to find the right English word here. Yeah, it's information processing is the right word. Mm-hmm. How, how it takes in information, what's happening in the brain when you get this information, and eventually what what comes out. <laughs> okay. So, so how does cognitive behavioral therapy really work in practice, and and what can you treat with it? Well, it's very different from from the view that I think most people have on uh, psychological treatment. Uh, because it doesn't very much involve speaking about your childhood. Uh, of course, the sh- your childhood is very important. That's uh, how, how you learn uh, the different things in life. Uh, but we are more focused on what is your problem right now mm. and how can we help you to cope with this problem in a better way. These treatments that we have are evaluated in uh, the more normal scientific ways uh, that we have control groups. It's it's done more or less about the same as if you evaluate a new medicine. Mm -hmm. You try to to even uh, sometimes have placebo therapy, (laughs) which is little bit of a problem because uh, the person who is giving placebo therapy is does of course understand that this is placebo therapy yeah. and it can be kind of hard to uh, sometimes I think the clients might suspect that as well it's also an eth- ethical question isn't it yeah but if, if you are given some kind of placebo therapy or usually what you're giving uh, given is treatment as usual it could be some other kind of therapy or it could be a medicine something like that yeah uh, but uh, there is a basic problem with uh, all research on psychological treatments and that is it, it, it can never be double blind with one exception because uh, the therapist knows 
what kind of therapy he's given. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's one way actually to make it double blind, and that's internet-based therapy. Uh, and the funny thing is that we get about the same results. So so how do you do that? I, I don't understand how that works if you do it through the internet. Well, the basics of CBT is to give homework. Uh-huh. And we have found methods, some methods that are very, very, very uh, efficient, actually, uh, for phobias, panic, anxiety. Uh, can, can you, like, tell us an example? Is that going to be telling these state secrets? No, 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 no. It's not a secret. Nothing in CBT is a secret or, or a strange or anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but phobias are very, very simple. And actually, uh, we have a famous uh, researcher here in Sweden. He's world famous because of his uh, phobia treatment. Mm-hmm. Because you can cure most simple phobias. Simple phobias are like if you're afraid of spiders, dogs, and stuff like that. Psychologists? Okay. Uh, well, well, your theory. Uh, yeah, yeah. It can be cured in three hours. Really? Yeah, yeah. The treatment takes three hours, and uh, you can have somebody who, before the treatment, this person person couldn't go into a room uh, just just by thinking that it may be spiders in there, and after three hours, they can have spiders crawling in their hair. That, that's fantastic. It's pretty impressive. Wow. But uh, uh, simple phobias are simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Even a beginner can succeed uh, with a, a simple phobia treatment. Yeah. Uh, but we also have very good results on panic anxiety. We have decent results on OCD, obsessive compulsive behavior. Actually, I think we have good results for about 20, what do you say in English, diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Decent results uh, when it comes to depression, social phobia, stress management. So, yeah, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> what kind of exercises would you give to your patients? Would like just self talking to, to the, you know, convincing themselves that everything is okay, rationalizing their fears and anxieties? How- uh, well, well, actually, there are two ways uh, to change behaviors. Mm. And the best way to change behaviors is to try to introduce a new behavior. Like, for instance, if you are a very shy person Mm -hmm. and you, let's say that you would never think even the thought about uh, apprehending somebody in a bar and say hello, instead of convincing the client that this would be okay, we can keep on talking for hours and hours. Yeah. And probably the client will say, no, it's not going to work. And I will say, oh, yeah, it's going to work. And we can go on like that, on and on and on. Instead, what we do is maybe I, I'll even accompany uh, my client to a bar. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a cafe. Let's say a cafe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, to begin with, I will do the things that I'm suggesting to the client. So maybe, ah, okay. Uh, so maybe I will ask a stranger, "Well, uh, is the coffee good here?" or something like that. And probably the the client will think that uh, if you ask such a question, people will laugh in your face. And when they see that uh, this is actually not happening, they usually want to try it themselves. Ah. 
Well, I, do you know what comes to mind? There is a saying in English. It, it goes like this: "Fake, uh, fake it until you make it," and it's um, <laughs> kind of what you, you're proposing to do. So certainly, client won't be confident, but he can just fake the confidence, fake this whole persona that he doesn't have, and then. It'll just happen. Yeah, actually, some of my clients have said that, that, well, this is like fake it until you make it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a simplified way, it is a little bit like that. And, That's amazing. Uh, and uh, the usual problem is that people are waiting for the right feeling that they will feel that <laughs> now I dare to do this. Yeah. But this will never happen. No, no. no. So, so and, instead, yeah. uh, I encourage them to do them. Do this. Be afraid. It's okay to be afraid, because it's not until you have ex have experienced that the catastrophe will not happen, right. that you actually will change how you think. Okay. So a lot of people think that you have to start with your thoughts, change how you think, and then you can do stuff. But actually, uh, most research says it's the other way around. Huh, By experiencing okay. something, you change the way you think. Oh my gosh, that's really like that really speaks to me because um I like I've never thought that I would have ever done that, but um I've recently t tried paragliding just because I just thought it's a, a great idea, and I loved it. But um the thing the thing that I try to remember is that really we've only got one life, and we've got to try things that we're afraid of because they give us the most exhilarating feelings and, and make our lives so much more colorful. Uh, this was, there was one of the gurus who, who said that, you know, you must try one thing you're afraid of every day. Well, that's a bit excessive. Let's don't, not do it every day, but you know. Well, if it helps you, I think it's a good idea, but uh, I think you can give, live a good life uh, even if you don't try something new every day. But uh, if this is hindering you in, in, in your life, that you, you can't live the life you really want to live, well, then you should try. Yeah, that, that leads me, good segue there, uh, Jelena, because that leads me to think <laughs> that you're a thrill seeker, right? And that leads me to think about personal inventories. And I know that that's something that you, Don, are pretty uh, critical of sometimes. Can you explain what it is and why you don't uh, really uh, like it? Personality inventories. Oh, personality uh, inventories, sorry. Yeah, personal inventories. So that, that's something else, well. yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, this actually leads us to a bigger question, and that is the big amount of pseudo-psychology, pseudo-science we have in our field. And it's getting better when, when it comes to clinical psychology. We have some problems there still. But when you look at organizations or people who are, who are recruiting personnel for different companies, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I actually think uh, what we, we have inherited some stuff from the old types of psychology that was based on Freud and Jung. From my point of view, that was not science at all. Uh, there was no basic research behind their theories. What we have now uh, all over the world, we, we have personality inventories that divides people into different categories. It's usually five or four categories. Some people give them colors, like you can be a red person, a yellow person, a pink person, or whatever. And uh, what they mean is that humankind can be divided into, let's say, five categories. 
You can be extroverted or introverted. And there are some other categories that I actually don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) This is worse than astrology. At least there you've got 12 signs and here you only have five categories. (laughs) Yeah, actually, it's actually easier to prove astrology wrong because let's say that uh, i'm born uh, i'm born in in september so i'm uh, what do you say in english i'm a virgo Virgo, just like me yeah okay so if somebody says well you are the typical accountant type i think uh, virgos are supposed to be accountant types i I was an accountant yes so that's 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 (laughs) that's right then proven right yeah yeah (laughs) all right all right yeah I can falsify this by uh, saying, let's say, I wasn't born in September. I was born in in uh, February. So I'm, um, uh, what do you call those? In Sweden, we call them the fishes. Yeah, uh, probably. Pisces, yeah. Pisces, yeah, yeah. So, so actually, it can be falsified. <laughs> Yeah. But when it comes to these personality inventories, what they what what you do is you answer sometimes not more than twenty five questions. Like, do you like to meet new people? <laughs> do you like to speak to people? Are you are you very goal oriented? Questions like that. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you answer questions like that, they divide you into let's say five different categories. Mm-hmm. So let's say that I answer, yeah, I like to meet new people. Well, that probably will put me in the extroverted category. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I will be put in the extroverted category because I just answered the question, do you like to meet new people? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not rocket science. No. Uh, but the funny thing is that when people take these tests and then they tell you, well, We can see from this test that you are a pink person. Oh, you ask, what is a pink person? Well, a pink person is very extroverted. For example, uh, this person likes to meet new people. Well, that's me. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) And and I mean, of course, because I just answered this question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I've done this test for my current role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they have theories that if you have a person who is pink, he can't really relate to somebody who is, uh, I don't know, yellow, mm-hmm. because they, they don't think the same way. Actually, this has not been tested. First, for a test to be valid, you have to have test retest reliability. So if I answer that I'm extroverted on Monday, I should ask Monday next week, next week, I should also answer that I'm extroverted. Yeah. So this is the first thing you need to test. And then you also need to test that these different categories actually work, that they don't correlate with one another. So, so if you answer like a, a pink person, you should not answer like a yellow person. You should only answer like a pink person. Hmm. Uh, this is the second thing you need to test. Yeah. And then you need to test if this really has any validity in the outside world. If you are considered extroverted, will other people uh, say, yeah, yeah, this test is okay because I know this person is extroverted. This is the third thing you need to test. Hmm. And the fourth thing you need to test is, is this useful in any way? Can this be helpful when you recruit people for a company or an organization? And also, uh, what I was thinking, you know, 
like you said, you know, on Monday you might feel bad about yourself and depressed, and so you answer questions one way, but then on Friday you're happy and you're like you're going to be answering them completely different way. So yeah, you know, it's it's so unreliable. Is it there yeah. danger as well that you then when you've gotten the verdict, you, I am an extrovert person or I am a person who wants to decide everything all the time, uh, yeah. that, that you feel that you have to live up to that? Well, maybe not that, but what they are doing this with these tests is actually, uh, there's a, a psychological term for that. That's uh, the fundamental attribution error. And that is that people think that if somebody behaves in a certain way, it's because this person has this kind of personality. But research tells us that uh, what actually makes people behave in certain ways is what's going on around them. In in what kind of context are they? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you work for a firm where the boss is... uh, not very nice and uh, always complaining if if you make a mistake, you'll probably be quite introverted in that kind of uh, company. Mm. But if you work at a place where mistakes are accepted and it's okay to to maybe say something that the boss doesn't like, you will probably be be considered more extroverted. And of course, there are certain things that seems to be people are born with to be actually a little bit more extroverted and introverted. But that's, and also it seems that we are born like, like intelligence is something that seems to be in your, your genes, your genetical program, actually. Mm-hmm. But of course, the context in which you are brought up and the context in which you are functioning right now is also very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so sometimes people ask, what is more important, uh, nature or nurture? And uh, I heard somebody say, well, it's 100% nature and 100% nurture. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. There's a problem with these uh, personality inventories. Some of, of them are better than others. Uh-huh. Some of them have tested the re- test, retest reliability, and some other things, but uh, I very much doubt that they are helpful, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, so there seem to be a lot of infighting with psychology by the sounds of it. You know, there's different theories, there's dif- different methods, um, yeah. different factions that, you know, disagree with each other. Um, is it, well, obviously it is so. And um, what does this mean for the public perception on the, of the field? Because I know that that puts a lot of people off the psychology and they say, well, if they can't agree with within the, themselves, I mean, how can we trust this field then? Well... <laughs> Well, well, as, as uh, some people usually say, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it's like in the rest of Europe, but in Sweden, for me, my impression is that people trust psychologists much more now than they did like 20 years ago when I started out. And, and the reason is that they heard, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of news on national television, in the newspapers, mm-hmm. about the good results we have with cognitive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. 
people who before were maybe tended not to seek uh, psychological help are now, now seeking psychological help. They trust us. Well, some of us can be trusted, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I, I, guess, I guess the perception that I get from at least UK, because UK, that's where I live, I have heard of CBT in the context of, of UK, so that's also quite big here. Um, and I've heard that it's very, um, it's making good, um, progress. So maybe it's all, you know, going in the right direction. <laughs> and m- more and more as, as this, as this field matures and we use research, um, and good evidence, uh, maybe this field, like any other field in science, will evolve and become better. Yeah, yeah. In Sweden, it's actually now recommended as uh, the go-to treatment for mm. for the first choice for all anxiety disorders mm. and uh, also uh, the not-so-severe depressions. Mm-hmm. Mm. So before you start on medication, you should start. Uh, you should try CBT. That's the recommendations in Sweden. I think the Brilliant. British recommendations are actually almost exactly the same. And also in America, uh, they recommend uh, CBT as as uh, the go-to treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I know it's different in other countries. Like uh, I've heard that in France, they still are trying to treat autism with psychoanalysis. Wow. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the French don't seem to be very interested in my book from my, uh, my, uh, <laughs> that's what my <laughs> agent said. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the, the, the book, uh, we mentioned in the, be- in, in the beginning, the lizard inside your head. Tell, yeah. uh, tell us what it is. What's it about and, and uh, why you wrote it? I got the idea when I, uh, I was a very fresh psychologist and I tried to explain Well, the first thing you do when you meet a patient and you you have assessed what what the problem is and and what's very important is to try to explain in a simple way why the patient should should uh, do the treatment because this this is the problem with CBT it hurts mm-hmm. it's a little bit like going to the dentist you are supposed to do the things that you are afraid of You're supposed to do things that you really don't know how to do. Sometimes we have to teach people, like like if you've been afraid to go to restaurants, you really don't know how to behave in a restaurant, so you have to teach them. So so uh, the treatment is very much doing things that you really do, really don't dare to do. So it's very important to explain to the patient in, in a way that the patient will understand why they have to do this. And I started to use metaphors, and together with these metaphors, I started to draw. For example, the title, uh, The Lizard Inside Your Head, that was one of the first metaphors and drawings that I uh, I did, because I tried to explain to a patient that in, inside your head, we have the amygdala, which is controlling your fears, or actually is, is the fear center is a better word. And the amygdala is in the reptilian brain, and the reptilian brain is not very clever. <laughs> and how do you teach a stupid animal something? You do that by talking to the animal? Well, the animal doesn't understand words to begin with, and it has an IQ of about two. So, so how can you teach an animal something new? Well, 
by experiencing that something that the animal was so afraid of wasn't really that frightening. Mm. It wasn't that dangerous. So I started to draw a lizard, a very stupid lizard, inside a head. And uh, I'm, I'm not a very good artist, so <laughs> it, it looked extremely stupid. <laughs> but uh, uh, it worked. Uh-huh. Because first, you know, I, 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 I tried to explain this by, by using a, a lot of Greek and Latin names of the different parts in your brain. And the patient was just looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Can imagine. Then I started to draw. This patient grasped it uh, immediately. So I started to collect these drawings. Yeah. Then I decided to make a book out of it. And I thought that the book would just be something that could be helpful for therapists. I was working on the book, and a good friend of mine looked at the drawings and looked at what I had written and said, hey, this is commercial. Mm-hmm. I didn't really realize that I made a commercial book. <laughs> mm, amazing. Yeah. And it's, it, is, it is available in English as well, isn't it? No, I hope it will be. Okay. Uh, but if some of your uh, listeners are speaking German or Russian or uh, Mandarin... I hope we have some Mandarin <laughs> listeners. You do. Great. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> the book will come out in Germany in October, I think. And probably What about Russian? Because my, my native is Russian language, so I'd probably be able to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have the Russian contract right in front of me here at home, so it will, be, it will be released in Russia. And actually, it will be very much cheaper in Russia than in Sweden. I don't know why, but books are very cheap in Russia. <laughs> well, in Russia, it's very hard to make anything expensive because nobody will buy it, so they have to... Okay, so, so well, it's going to be very interesting to, <laughs> to see the Russian edition. Mm-hmm. But the, the Swedish edition has been out for for some time now, and yeah, uh, uh, about a year. About a year, yeah. I have a copy yeah. here uh, with me. It's, it's you, really great. You showed great. me before the recording. I loved the cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that really sh- that shows the the lizard inside the head of somebody there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Dan, I was also thinking that because the attention span of an average person is now so short, your drawings really help. They just grab uh, the attention straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you. To be honest, I didn't do the drawings. I had an artist uh, because my, 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 my drawings were terrible. So uh, <laughs> for my instruction, I had a very good artist who made them. But, you know, it, it was a good idea in any case. Yeah. 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 It, it's a fun book to read. And I actually advise people to have it in the, in the loo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. It's a good toilet read. Yeah. Yeah, it takes you about two or three minutes to uh, look at the picture and my explanation of the picture, which is on the, the opposite page. Yeah. <laughs> and you will learn some uh, evidence-based psychology in two minutes. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm so, sold on that already. That's, yeah. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, j- just to explain to the listeners, so every, every page you open up has a picture on one side and then a situation described on uh, one side in, in text. And the the pictures are amazing, and they're very very funny, and they're put in context by the text then there. So so you can, as you said, you could have it in the loo, and you can just pick <laughs> it up wherever, and you just open it up wherever, and you read one page there, and it's it's really good. Yeah, yeah, thank Brilliant. you, thank you. Yeah, I um I want to go. I I want to ask something, um, Pontus, that is it wasn't part of the thing, and also I'm not sure if Dan, you would like to answer this question, but um, it's something that I'm very interested in, and also as a psychologist, you have some insight. Well, you might have some thoughts anyway. What do you think about 
free will, whether, you know how, when people act, their brain, oh. there were some tests done that to, to prove that the actions come before we even think about them. So in a, in a way, we are not in charge of our own bodies. We're kind of like just riding this very complex machine. And how do you view that? I know I don't know if it's very le- relevant to this, but I I know that you obviously. Well, it's see... very re- relevant, okay. I think. And people usually don't like my answer because we want to think that we have a free will. Yeah. But your behavior right now in this second yeah. is probably well. There are so many factors that ha- has influenced this behavior, like your genes, your your learning history what you ate for breakfast if you have <laughs> low blood sugar or high blood sugar yeah the way you look at the world the way you look at the situation you are in right now all these things are beyond your control yeah, hmm. yeah well i'm on the side of that we don't have free will and i have been convinced quite uh, yeah and i have been convinced quite quickly actually but i know that people still struggle with grasping this fact and also trying to then live their lives in a way that makes sense <laughs> because it's hard to reconcile. But, but I think on the other hand, we should act as if we had free yeah. will, <laughs> which is something else. Because what makes me really sad is that people are not living the lives they could live. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very mm. poignant thing. Especially in Western Europe and in America, where a majority of the people in those countries, they have enough food, they, they have shelter, they don't have to be afraid of, uh, of uh, war. Mm-hmm. So actually, uh, their basic needs are taken care of. Yeah. But still, people are not really doing what they actually would like to do. Yeah. I think. And this doesn't mean that everybody should try to become a, a rock star or a painter. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a minefield, this uh, free will conversation. But I like to bring it now and again, especially with people like yourself, Dan, because you've got such an insight into human bra- brain and human behavior. And uh, I, I think about it a lot, actually. So You just can't help thinking about it because you have no free will. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and, and now my... My free will is telling me that there's something else I want to say uh, uh, about the book, and this is not uh, doing a commercial for, uh, for the book, but one other reason why I wrote this book is that there are so many self-help books hmm. that you find in, in the stores now that are complete rubbish. Actually, those who are selling best are giving people sometimes really bad advices. Hmm. And they're usually not written by people who have even studied uh, psychology for, for, for a week yeah. <laughs> at the university. But they are really big sellers. Yeah. And people believe the stuff that they read in, in these books. And I think actually the real psychologists are a little bit to blame for this. Because uh, the books that we are writing, they are too boring. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so and of you... course, it's uh, it's difficult to write a book about psychology that's based on science because you, you can't promise people that after you read this book, you will become a fantastic 
arctic person you will yeah. release the giant within or something yeah. like that so i think we have responsibility to write books about psychology that are based on science and still fun and easy to read yeah like the lizard inside the brain yes absolutely. yeah well this is sounding like a commercial right well, now so <laughs> i don't mind <laughs> Yeah. No, that's why we. That's the one reasons why we've got you to that yeah. today. So that's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About the other self-help books that you mentioned or you talk about, yeah. do you agree that one of the biggest harm there is that you put the burden on the person who's reading the book? And you know, if you fail, you get bad advice. But you're sort of told that if you yeah. get bad advice, it's because you didn't try hard enough, not because the, yeah. bad, the advice was bad. Uh, yeah, there's a lovely book uh, written about that. That's called uh, "Smile or Die." Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, the author's name slipped my mind, but it's a great book. And it's written by a woman. She was struck with cancer, and she tried to find advice and support on the internet. Mm-hmm. So she found one of those uh, cancer support groups on the internet. And she started to put up things like, oh, I'm feeling really sad. I don't know if I can cope with the treatment and stuff like that. And people in this group, they were furious. Yeah. So I told her, her that you are, are sending out negative vibes. If you're not happy, the cancer will, will kill you. Yeah. This is absolutely breaking yeah. my heart. And so if you die, it's your own fault. Yeah. us because you're sending out these bad vibes. And actually, there is no research that is telling us that if you have a positive mind, you will that will help you to cure your cancer. Yeah. But this brings us to the, to, to the big problem that uh, you mentioned here, that many of these self-help books give people advices that, well, to begin with, it's very much up to you if you succeed or not. Mm. And at the same time, research tells us that the reason why you have success is a combination of very much in which context you are and if you're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I I did some online research here. Uh, It's called Smile or Die, How Positive Thinking Fooled America and the World by Barbara Ehrenreich. It's absolutely dis- disgusting because I actually know a friend who died of cancer recently. Um, and she was hooked on this, uh, idea that if only she stayed positive, if only she thought positive things, the cancer would go away. And obviously, you know, it didn't. She, she, um, unfortunately passed away. But the fact is, I am so furious because she made herself miserable on top of the fact that she already had cancer and she could have just lived the life to the fullest and she could have enjoyed it but no she blamed herself for being for getting worse and it just absolutely breaks my heart one big problem is that people are taught that they should try to replace their negative thoughts with positive thoughts yeah i think uh, the right expression in english is positive affirmations Yes, there is issues. Telling yourself, uh, I'm a lovely person, I'm a clever person, I'm a great person, stuff like that. So a lot of these self-help books, they, they are selling this about positive affirmations. Okay, it's been made research on this. And what they found out is that for those who are already in a flow, like uh, if I'm Roger Federer, mm-hmm. uh, I'm very fond of tennis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm going to play a tennis match. 
It might be a little bit helpful that I'm going to think, well, I'm Roger Federer. I'm the greatest tennis player ever. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to beat the crap out of this guy. Uh, yeah. That may work just a little bit. But for those who don't think that they are Roger Federer, which is the majority, <laughs> <laughs> people who are struggling with negative thoughts, if they try to stop the negative thoughts and replace them with positive thoughts, they perform even worse. Yeah. Interesting. That's good evidence for this. And the explanation is probably that uh, if you're going to do something and you try to think, I'm not going to think these negative thoughts. I need to think these positive thoughts. It was a guy called Wegener who made some research uh, about this. If you mm -hmm. try not to do something, it increases the likelihood that you will do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you tell yourself, I'm not going to think about jumping green frogs. That's right. Extremely hard not to think about jumping green frogs. <laughs> I was going to say pink elephants, but okay, jumping green frogs also work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took that as because that was the example from uh, a book we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's name again. Yeah. Very no. good, very good. Yeah. So, is there anything else you want to mention before we round well, this off? Well, there's so many things. <laughs> I can go on forever about this, but maybe we don't. Yeah, sure. So is there anywhere online where people can go and find out more about you or, or perhaps find your book? Uh, oh, God, I'm really bad at marketing on the internet. Uh, I have a website, but there's nothing about the book there because I haven't updated the website for right. five years. Uh, <laughs> uh, shame on me. But uh, my agent has a website. Mm -hmm. I will check that and, and, uh, and I'll put it in the show notes. And and you said you're also on Facebook as well, yeah? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, yeah. Under my own name with my own picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And there's a Swedish website called adlibris.se where you can find the book, I think. We will link yeah, to that yeah, as well. Yeah, and also on the other one. But it's not on Amazon yet. Not Maybe we okay. get an uh, English edition. Okay. All right, Don. Thank you very much for, for talking to us. It was very interesting. Thanks a lot. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Right, so that was Dan Katz. Um, great, uh, great interview. And I'm really looking forward to reading his book in Russian, even. Oh, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Hope That's it gets... something I don't get to do very often, reading interesting books in Russian, so... <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, majority of interesting books I read are in English. Yeah. And actually, a lot of them never translate into Russian. Yeah, but, mm. yeah, but I hope, really hope this gets translated into English as well. I really enjoy it yeah. a lot. It's It's great. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, it's got great illustrations not made by Don Katz we never mentioned in the interview <laughs> the, the illustrations are made uh, by a lady called Yvonne Svensson and mm -hmm. she, she deserves a mention because they are yeah. great maybe we can include some pictures in the in the show notes yeah, uh, yeah I hope why not so. yeah, yeah i hope so why not? and there we go so hopefully this interview have given you something to think about some insight into our brain although i often think of our brain as almost like an unknowable entity like we we keep discovering new things about it but i don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we know Ah, that's a big question. What drives behavior? How we work? What, you know, you know, like this question about the free will and this question about the, uh, you know, v various stimuli, you know, it's, it's all very, you know, the nurture and the nature. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Such and a no, complex I'm, thing. No, I, it's very doubtful that we will ever know everything about the brain, but there's absolutely more to be discovered. So He actually inspired me. Maybe I should change my career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what you think you want to do, but you're just guided by your <laughs> uh, lack of free will. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I try not to think about it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, very good. Yes, um, we also wanted to mention before we go uh, our calendar that's always available on our website, which is theesp.eu. I think there's a couple of things coming up upon to my right. One of them is in Valencia weekend 4th and 5th of May and this going to be a conference on science and pseudoscience. I'm guessing it's a little bit too late maybe to book anything now. Wow. But maybe somebody can go there last minute. Valencia is the most incredibly beautiful city. Uh, I've been there before and it's lovely. Um, but also the conference sounds like, or the, the event sounds like interesting event. You know, they ask questions about scientific issues and current issues and, you know, look at the, some of the sort of science out there. So it, it looks really, really good. If only I could go. Yeah. So if you can't go to Spain though, you can, maybe you can go to Switzerland because in the same weekend, there is the Science Plus Fiction Conference or Festival. Uh, mm. Science Fiction is das Festival der Wissenschaft in Basel. So Wissenschaft means science. So uh, that's all I understand about that. But uh, that sounds great. That's on the 4th and the 5th of May. I bet if you really wanted to, you could plan your year and go to like 50 conferences a year or something <laughs> silly around around Europe and America. It's incredible, really, uh, the amount of entertainment for skeptics and uh, science enthusiasts out there. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Check out uh, check out uh, out our calendar on the website. Also, uh, any suggestions or uh, comments um, are very welcome, and you can write to us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. You can tweet at us. Uh, our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. And we have, of course, our uh, Facebook page um, where you can find us and um, send us direct message if you'd like to. Yeah, and you can support us on Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash... <laughs> Patreon.com slash theesp. And you can uh, send us... Uh, I think it's dollars. I usually say euros, but actually it's in... In it's dollars. Yeah, it's dollars. So send us yeah. a dollar or two per episode. It makes us very, very happy. Indeed. I think that's it for this week. We will see you all next week with another episode of the ESP podcast, your real ESP experience. Absolutely. All right. Until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Ah, paka-paka. Oh, paka-paka. <laughs> This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. 
All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Dan Katz and you're listening to... to (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's a little bit late. Uh, You know, I cracked a rib, so every time I cough, it hurts like hell. How did you crack your rib? I I was uh, not so careful. (laughs) (laughs) No further comments. comments. (laughs) Old people and sex. I don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) I need to cough again.